Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Nagel. This will be from 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the odor of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are the aroma of Christ for God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the latter in the odor of death that leads to death, to the former an odor of life that leads to life. Good and gracious God, I ask your blessings upon us today and those who are listening that we might truly be signs of you in the world, that we might um, yeah, just be instruments of your grace. And so bless us particularly in this next hour as we speak of your uh, kingdom and your work. We ask this through Christ our Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. I have so many questions to ask you, fathers, but before we do that, it has been, um, I don't know, a month or even longer since the three of us have been together. Love a quick check-in. How are things going? What's a highlight from the last uh, month or two or significant happenings in the last month or two um, since we've been last on the air? I'm going to start with you, Father Lewis, because I know Father Nagel's had a um, very meaningful and uh, important happening in his own life. Um, if he would want to share a little bit about that, I, I know our listeners would appreciate it because we've been praying for him. But let's start with you, Father Lewis. Well, in the, Father uh, Lewis, we haven't been praying for you. Oh, so. good. Yeah. <laughs> well, this time uh, last month, I think I was um, I was uh, still in Lourdes. Yeah, we just arrived in Lourdes. Wow. I uh, led wow. a pilgrimage that began in Lourdes in the south part of France. That means you were praying for us. I was. Is that yeah, right? I was. Thank I was praying you. for, for our, all of our parishioners, yeah. And um, we um, stayed there the first uh, three days. On the fourth day, we uh, left and crossed the Pyrenees, went across the north of Spain, and saw a couple places uh, on our way to Santiago Compostela, the uh, famous uh, pilgrimage site in Spain, and then spent two days there. And the third day after that, we made our way to Fatima, and uh, finished our pilgrimage there, and then and then uh, flew home. So um, yeah, it was a graced uh, occasion. We had uh, 19 of of, uh, pil- of the pilgrims, you know, plus myself, and um, great tour manager who's over there leading us around. And I think it was um, a pilgrimage filled with graces and um, and uh, all good things. Yeah. Well, you say all good things, but you were a little bit more grumpy when you talked about <laughs> Fatima to me, Father. I think you should kind of bring that out into the open on the air there. That was your first time at Fatima. You've been to Lourdes a number of times, first yeah. time at Fatima. Mm-hmm. And it, the aroma of Christ wasn't the most prominent thing that you experienced. <laughs> well, I, I thought I, I thought Fatima was fine. I mean, was, I, thought, I found a little, um, compared to Lourdes especially, I found a little underwhelming, the kind of the widespread devotional life of thousands of pilgrims there just um, wasn't wasn't there. And maybe we're at the wrong time of year or something, but... Really, the uh, dark side was the trip home, and um, lest I lest I commit perjury or something against some certain airline, um, let's just call it Alpha, shall we? Um, well, maybe that's too obvious. Maybe call it Omega. But uh, <laughs> in any event, uh, it was a frustrating trip home. But I refuse to let that overshadow the graces of the trip itself. So I'm trying to be positive here, Tom. <laughs> nice. I like that. That's good. That's good. What would you say is the grace that you received from the pilgrimage? Was there one that jumped out at you? Like, oh, it, in this moment, I sensed the Lord was offering me or w- had communicated to me a particular grace. Um, the grace I was mostly seeking for and which I feel I received, and on a couple occasions, was a grace of, of peace, to just be, to seek it out, to um, to pray in silence, even without, like, you know, spiritual reading to to guide me, but just rest in the Lord. And um, in three particular occasions, it was in Lourdes, in uh, Santiago, and in Fatima, where we had, uh, as a group, just kind of had the day open to ourselves for personal devotion. And um, I did my best to make great capital of that, to remove myself from the trappings of tourism and to really be a pilgrim in these places, to, to, to rest and pray in, uh, with the Lord and in the Lord. And um, yeah, I received that uh, very palpably, I think, um, at least three times in three different occasions. That's beautiful. Yeah, something to be very grateful for. I think lots of folks listening would love to be able to access the peace of the Lord. And just let me ask, uh, just in terms of following that up, was peace something that you sought or was some, or was it something that the Lord sought to give you? Both, I think. Uh, I sought it because... Um, 
here, I'm you know in the parish, the the concerns of the pastor just uh, um, not overwhelming, but but definitely nonstop. You know, you know, how's this parishioner doing, or what's going on here, and these things, and baptisms and funerals and all these things. They just kind of come in like a tidal wave. And then the concerns or worries I may have, largely useless worries of the wider culture that. You know, they're a great concern of mine, but not really a whole lot of influence or control over those things. And to be removed from that for just a time to kind of recharge. So I, that's why I sought it out. Um, uh, and I think the Lord wanted to give that to me because, you know, as Jesus said, when he sent out the two by two, you know, disciples two by two, and they came back and were talking about everything that they have done. He said, come away by yourselves and rest a while. And I, I felt like that was his call to me on this pilgrimage, to just rest a while. Nice. That's great. Uh, Father Nagel, just as uh, just to build off of the the concept of pilgrimage and graces, uh, have you ever led a pilgrimage? And can you relate to anything that Father Lewis was just sharing? <laughs> you know, one of the jokes in my parishes is that I try to avoid pilgrimages. Um, that being said, <laughs> um, I was on an archdiocesan pilgrimage to the Holy Land in 2008. I wasn't the Archbishop was leading it, but I was kind of the chaplain sacristan person um and it, steve ray was the one who's leading the uh, the pilgrimage in terms of just sort of organizing and so i was kind of in between it wasn't like i was the the, the top guy but it, i definitely got a taste of what it would be like to be a priest on pilgrimage and so i have never really done that and i i don't know if i will or not um it's possible but so far no well, fair enough. There we go. So, um, so Father Nagel, uh, we just gave Father Lewis a chance to share a bit about his last couple of months, and I want to give you a chance to share as well uh, anything that you'd like about um, the the last month or two in your own life. Well, I think what you were uh, referring to earlier, Tom, was, and some of our uh, listeners probably know this, is my, my mother died on September 29th, um, the Feast of the Archangels, and so obviously that's the biggest thing that's happened to me in the last few months. And I would really want to, first off, just say to everybody, I've, you know, if you, if you have to lose a parent, um, be a priest. I mean, you get so much support in terms of prayers and um, it just overwhelming, you know, masses offered for mom and me and my family and prayers and, you know, people coming to the funeral and all this sort of thing. I, I really do feel like, I've been supported um, in extraordinary ways, including those, I'm sure, who are listening to Sound Insight. So I'm very grateful for that. And it's been a strange, you know, it's a strange time in, in many ways. Uh, I have to say that uh, it was a peaceful experience in the sense of my mom was a very faithful woman and um, she was ready. She was she was prepared. And um, in fact, when they told her to go on hospice, it, you know, they were trying to break that to her. She was... Uh, great, let's do it. You know, I don't want to go to rehab again. I'd rather go to hospice. Um, I'm ready to go. And so, again, not that it's something we would have chosen, but it is something that, would, that I think I and my, my, uh, the rest of my family is at peace with. I think that the loss is it actually kind of has been growing, not, not in some sort of heart-rending grief, but it's just a, I'm, you know, I miss her. Yeah, it's just the way in which we interacted. So um, the loss, I think actually over time in some ways is just going, oh, yeah, I, 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 this is going to be, I, it's just, the loss is real and, and uh, the hold is there. But um, again, with, with faith, it's, it's something that I'm, and I think my family as well, we are, um, yeah, just living into. So uh, praying for my mom all the time, asking for her prayers. And so again, thank you for yours. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the enduring memory I have with your mom, it may have been the first time I met her. She has this like nobility, like she kind of radiates a kind of like a stateliness or right. uh, aristocratic kind of <laughs> air. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I'm sure people have said that. They have. There other people have said that, and I. So, I I appreciate that. It's. I think it's true. It's, it, it is a reflection. I think some in some ways of of her soul. So, um, again, we we were blessed with our mother, my my and my father too. I, I have to say, looking just looking around the world and my own experience, I, I take no credit for this. Obviously, it's just it's just a gift from God. But we were really blessed in our parents. So. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna circle back to that. So I was uh, in Boston <clears> last <throat> week visiting my dad, and uh, gave a talk at my parish about 40 years after my own uh, awakening of my faith as a young adult in the same exact location where that happened, mm. the chapel of the parish I grew up in. And my dad had uh, insisted, we need to do an event on a Catholic understanding of meditation to help get Catholics praying. And so I, I talked about it on Sound Insight, but to summarize, um, I did the event there and gave folks a number of opportunities to experience different forms of uh, Catholic meditation. At the end, we had a chance to, for folks to share their experience of things, like what, what was their, their um, takeaway from the night. And one young woman, young woman, she actually graduated from high school with me, an old lady, <laughs> <laughs> a kid I graduated high school with, uh, said, you know, uh, to hear you talk about this, she said, do you realize how blessed you are? The, the the graces that you've received to be able to talk about this as what you do for your life. And she said, it's such a, a small niche of people that have the blessing of being held in reserve. This is now my language to be able to experience what you were able to lead us through tonight. And I share that back to you, Father Nagel when you were reflecting on the gift of the mother and father you received, that there's, a, there's not only a, like a magnificent display of God's generosity, there, which we ought to be very grateful for, there's also, I think, a sense of stewardship, like to whom much has been given, much will be required. Uh, Father Lewis, I think of we were together at your parish for an event I was speaking at, and you talked about having the best father in the world. Oh yeah, and just the gift of the the parents that you have, that you had, and have to help like to be a foundation upon which you have lived your own life of faith. Um, I think that there's. Do you ever sense that stewardship, like? Oh no, not oh no, but oh wow, uh, there's going to be not hopefully hell to pay, right? But there's going to be an account to give for how much has been given to us and how much we have been preserved from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, <clears throat> when I reflect on how much I've been given, the uh, the oh no or oh wow uh, that Amelia frequently comes to mind and, and does so now is, um, how, was I grateful enough for those, for those gifts? I think that would be the first order of business is recognition of the gift I've been given and giving thanks for that. And then, okay, now how I can put it to work. But if I jump the gun, then, um, you know, that was the first order of business with the, with the lepers. You know, Jesus healed 10, only one came back to thank him. And, um, and who knows what they would have done with the rest of their lives, but, but Jesus put such stock on the gratitude and I try to be mindful of, I need to express gratitude and thanks for gifts I know I've received. Oftentimes, that's also as attached to um, uh, a penance I may assign folks in confession, if that's applicable, is you know just reflect upon the gifts you know you have received and, and offer a prayer of thanksgiving for those gifts. So yeah, that's the oh wow for me, is I need to make sure I'm grateful. Uh, that's first order of business for me. Yeah. Father Nagel, any thoughts about stewardship and... Uh... Uh, you know, held to a greater account. Yes, it's interesting. I, I think, on the one hand, uh, and I mentioned this in the funeral homily, um, that one of the signs of my parents' blessing was that we took them for granted. We took their presence, their love, their marriage for granted, which I think kids should be able to do. That's not a bad thing when you're young. Um, because, you, you, again, if you have that family that, and that those set of parents, you think that's normal, and and it should be, and it's and it's something that's so comfortable. Again, you get used to it, and you don't you, you don't realize how blessed you are. I do think, though, as you grow older, and part of the maturing process is that idea that wow, um, that I've been blessed. This isn't something that everybody has after all, and so I do think there's been a growing sense of 
of appreciation for the gift of my parents. I do think also that I I would agree with you, Tom, that I I have actually thought about the fact that, boy, you know what, I'm going to be accountable for this. I don't have any real excuse. Um, you know, in terms of handicapping for why you are or not a saint, I mean, I don't have much... I don't have much to um, complain about. I mean, I, I don't have much in the negative category in my life so far. And so what possible excuse will I have not to make every use of the gifts God has given me? So I think I am aware of that. It doesn't mean necessarily that I'm, <laughs> I've fulfilled it, but I, I have thought about that many times that, you know, I'm, I'm so blessed in so many ways. I don't have much to fall back on as an excuse. Well, I... Th- I- I, for one, am grateful that uh, the two of you fathers have that sensitivity that says, we've been given so much, how can we not just pour ourselves out? Um, I, on the other hand, when I lack that appreciation, I've got something called a wife who (laughs) reminds me that, hey, man, you got to up your game. You've been given a lot. We've been given a lot. We have to give more. We have to be more generous than we even imagine. So I think that Carrie has been a gift to me in that. Hmm. All right, we're up against our first break. When we come back, fathers, I got a, I got a couple questions for you about certain saints and about what it takes to be a saint today. That and more on Sound Insight. Please stay tuned. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. I'm with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis, and we are talking about, well, a bit about saints, a bit about uh, the call to, well, the universal call to holiness, right? We're all called to the perfection of charity. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So in doing that, that's, that's our call to be a saint. We began with a passage of scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, that references this concept of an aroma for Christ, the fragrance of Christ that somehow is connected with us just showing up. Somehow, just showing up is intended by the Lord to also be a a showing up of Christ, that Christ is going to manifest himself in our own lives. So I'm going to begin with an easier one. We'll see who... Falls, uh, falls out first, uh, and this has to do with um, sanctity connected to an odor. Have you heard of the odor of sanctity? And I know you have. Father Lewis got excited. He's like, yes, <laughs> he does. Let's see who can name a saint that was associated with the odor of sanctity. And uh, if you have any saints that jump to mind in, uh, in your own a study or a recollection about saints who had this odor of sanctity. And what do you think that meant? How about you, Father Lewis? I'll let you go first since you're... Oh, okay. You're, uh, sorry, Father Nick. Well, he's, he's, he's leaning gonna over. It. He's oh, like I'm ready. ready to He's going to take my answer is the thing. So, yeah, okay. I may choose a saint that uh, Father Nagel uh, wouldn't think of, so I'm uh, okay. hoping I'm Hope taking so. mercy. But I'm thinking of St. Polycarp. On the, his feast day, oh, the yeah. second reading of his feast day is an account of his martyrdom. Who is St. Polycarp? He is um, a disciple of St. John the, the Apostle and uh, Bishop of, of, um, of uh, Smyrna in present-day Turkey. And um, St. Ignatius of Antioch wrote him a letter and, and, um, and wrote a letter to his church. And anyway, his martyrdom, he's an old man in his mid-80s, I think, and he is condemned to burn at the stake. And uh, and as he's being tied with fetters to the stake, he insists that he that those aren't needed. He will remain where he is and accept it as a as a judgment from God or whatever. And then the, you know it's like a witness account of his martyrdom. And uh, the reading goes about how how when he's 
burning. It's like the flames went around him and he wasn't burning, but it was like his skin took on kind of a golden fiery glow. And then there was this odor of like freshly baked bread going on. And, um, and then the fires consumed him. So, um, you know, it, you know, instead of burning flesh, the, the freshly baked bread. And it's interesting too, because being a companion of St. Ignatius of Antioch and in his writings, he's always longed for, let me be ground by the teeth of the beast, like, uh, um, wheat ground into flour so I can be made the pure bread of the of, of Christ. And so, you know, this bread image also as a as a holy Eucharistic, you know, offering, um, associated also with Saint Polycarp. So now when I think of baked bread, I think this is a holy <laughs> thing I'm smelling here. I can't wait to taste it. <laughs> nice. I love that. I I was not aware of Saint Polycarp and the odor of sanctity. So <laughs> Good for you, Father Bam. You just played a good card there. Yeah, okay, yeah. Father Nagel, that, that left the field wide open for you for some of the more common well, uh, the saints that are more famously known for this. Well, I I had not thought of St. Polycarp, though as soon as he said it, I remembered, uh, I know what he's gonna go, where he's going to go with that. But uh, St. Teresa of Lisieux is who I was thinking first off. The, the roses, uh, oftentimes her her action is associated with the scent of roses. And so that, that kind of was the first thing that jumped to my mind. Have you ever uh, like done that, uh, like a novena to the little flower, and either gotten a rose or the the odor of roses? No, I've not actually. I know I know yeah, many, many people, people have. have. Yeah, I have. Yeah, and uh, sure enough, it's it's amazing. Like somehow, where a rose comes, I had my kids do it, and um, it was kind of a neat story John Mark had about how a rose came to him during uh, during that. I think it was. Um, it was he was being served by someone um, like at a supermarket or whatever, and, and the the person who like said something to him, her name was Rose. Mm. Like how cool is that, right? <laughs> um, so I a quick story. Uh, my parents, uh, my mom grew up in a very uh, devout Catholic family, and um, they there was a woman that was known for her sanctity. Um, she lived, I think she was like lived a kind of a sickly life, but was very holy. And in the end, um, her her house, her residence became a place of pilgrimage. And my mom went and visited. And as they walked through the house, they smelled this odor of sanctity. They smelled mm. these beautiful flowers. And, um, and there was no sense of, oh, there was perfume or a candle or something that was put into the air. It was this odor of sanctity. Wow. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that wasn't even a saint. Um, it was just a, a, a holy person who had a holy reputation um, who died. So there you go. Nice. All right, what about another saint? I actually, I'm going to pull a, a Father Chad Green just had an evening oh. at Mary Queen of Peace on St. Charbel. Okay. St. Charbel, uh, an Eastern Catholic, Eastern Rite Catholic, a Melkite, uh, he had the odor of sanctity um, around his um, his uh, around his remains. He was incorrupt for many for decades, and he um, uh, had the odor of sanctity around around him, um, which was again well known. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Father Lewis. You're ready to go. You got someone else. Oh well, I'm gonna go for the the Babe Ruth of saints, and that's uh, <laughs> Mother Mary. <laughs> You know, her, depending on which tradition you like, did she die first and then was assumed, or was it simply her earthly pilgrimage was done and she was assumed while still living? But, you know, I think it's uh, large in the Eastern tradition that she did die first, and they called her Dormition, and works of art that show this, or her show or her assumption, apostles looking into the sarcophagus of where she was laid, but she's not there. She's assumed up into heaven, she's rising with the angels, and in its place are flowers. And um, and folks, um, I know when we've done house blessings or you know some kind of spiritual um, maybe attack or spiritual blessing one way or the other. But when the rosary is invoked as a powerful prayer weapon, some folks have told me that they have smelled uh, the smell of roses uh, praying for intercession, and they've they've understood that and have felt a sense of peace that in a, in a special way Mary was there, present with them, praying with them, and. Um, uh, and you know, I, 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 I have no doubt about that either. I don't think these people, Father, you must think I'm crazy. I said, I, I don't. I've not experienced myself, but there's lots of things I haven't experienced. And uh, who knows? Maybe Saint Bernadette herself faced that at Lourdes because Our Lady appeared to her, and among other details given, she had 
uh, yellow rose petals like on, on her feet, like she, they were the sandals. And so maybe she smelled the roses too as they were praying the rosary together there in the grotto at Lourdes. And so um, anyway, yeah. Sorry, Father, I took that one from you. <laughs> no, you didn't take it. I, no, I, I would not have come up with that. That's all yours. I think you are the, the champion of odor here. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I, do you have any others, Father well, Nagel? Well, I was thinking about this, and I, I, do, I, you, I have read oftentimes in terms of uh, the incorruptibles, there's an odor of sanctity, et cetera. I was thinking, I could be wrong about this, I think it's the thing that Padre Pio, even from his, the wounds um, of sometimes stigmatists, um, they have the odor of sanctity, but maybe I'm just imagining that, that memory. So that's about all I have. I think I'm first out. Oh. Uh, well, that was, uh, that was going to be my second one, was uh, Padre Pio. Oh. Yeah, so that's a, I think that's an easy win right there, Father. That was good. You're still in, Father. Okay. Yeah. No, now I'm I'm done. <laughs> I, like I said, I've read probably many counts, but I can't remember exactly who they were related to. Yeah, I, I don't have any others. Do you have any others, Father? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild swing here, and uh, if you've ever uh, seen the film Quo Vadis, based off the book of the same name, mm -hmm. um, it tells the story of you know ultimately of Peter leaving Rome and Jesus walking by, and so Quo Vadis, where do you go, Lord? And he's going back to Rome to be crucified for his people again, and ultimate guilt trip peter is sent you know goes back to face the thing you know the final judgment and is crucified upside down the end of that film though so peter's walking out of town with a walking stick and kind of an old man but with his last bit of strength given by that vision of the lord leaves his stake uh his stick uh planted in the ground and and walks back and then it, it shows him walking back to rome and the sun sets the epic music starts playing and it kind of pans back over to his stick and there's there's like a flowery vine that has grown on it. Now, I don't know if Peter has a tradition of having the holy odor, um, but uh, this is why it's quite a reach that maybe according to the author of Covatus, he did. So <laughs> anyway, his, his stick had flowers on it. So, hey, there's something, Tom, huh? <laughs> nice. I like it. We'll take it. Yeah, so today in the program, we are, um, we're reflecting right now on this idea that the saints, um, one of the uh, signs of sanctity that occasionally accompanies the life of a saint, even after death, is this concept of aroma, uh, a beautiful, sweet-smelling fragrance. Any thoughts on why that would be the case? Why would a saint be honored by God as, a, as having a, a beautiful fragrance uh, in terms of um, being a, a sign of their sanctity or holiness? Any thoughts on that, Father Nagel? You know, it's interesting. Um, I was on retreat here uh, last week, or week before, I guess, um, one of the reasons I didn't make it to the program on my annual retreat. And one of the things that the book I read was a wonderful little book called The Bishop of the Abandoned Tabernacle. And it was writings from St. Manuel Gonzalez Garcia, who I'd never heard of before. He was just canonized in 2016 uh, by Pope Francis. And he, he was a Spanish, ultimately a Spanish bishop in the early 20th century. He died in 1940. But some of his writings, in terms of the aroma idea, the, within one of the things he was talking about there in that book was the, the tabernacle as being the source of this aroma in, in, in the sense of God's grace. He, wanted, he thought this sense of smell, we oftentimes think of, of seeing God or hearing God or being touched by God, less that means you know, the smell of the aroma, the odor of God. But he says this is... Yeah, again, the idea of, he wanted to link this to the tabernacle and, and, and churches and chapels holding a tabernacle. He says, as an analogy, that as you go in there, um, think of the, the, the smell of God in the sense of a source of aroma is hard to pin down necessarily. It's just something that kind of surrounds you. But it, there, is a, there is a physical location, the source of it, so to speak. But when we think about the tabernacle, we can come into a room and we should think spiritually there's aroma here. Uh, this is a beautiful, sea-smelling place. It's being, the source of the aroma is the tabernacle and Christ in the tabernacle. And what the smell is, faith, hope, and charity, in the sense of we're taking this into ourselves. Um, and so again, I was thinking about that just in terms of these saints, that oftentimes 
the way in which we experience holiness or God's grace is more in a sense of a smell than anything else. That there's, we know when we go into a place that it's there. Um, the source is fairly vague, but it, it's there as well. And and so I think again, it, it, I think when a source of smell is sometimes a difficult thing for us to to really pin down. We're we're pretty good at sight and hearing. We're, our sense of smell is not so developed, kind of like our sense of God. Um, so again, all of those those things, pictures and ideas put together from Saint Manuel. I thought, you know, that's kind of the way I think of now. This last week or two, I've been thinking going into chapels and churches and genuflecting and saying, again, the aroma of God suffuses this place. So anyway, that's that just came to my mind when you asked that question. But Lewis, you know, I like that insight you said, Father, about uh, maybe our lack of our sense of smell lacking uh, development, much like our sense of of God. Um, and I was thinking too. I, I I never thought of it like that before. That there's a connection there. And and uh, but you know I think folks can walk into a room or something, and if there's something foul in the air, like we detect it right away. And so kind of via negativa, like you know folks maybe have attached attached like a scent, an odor of sanctity maybe after someone has died. And if there's the smell of corruption, it it may affect their conviction that this was a, a holy person. They had every expectation maybe that this person would not experience corruption because of the saintliness they lived in their lives. And um, I'm thinking of like uh, the book Brothers Karamazov right. by uh, Dostoevsky, the priest character in that, Zosimus. Um, everyone had just, you know, he was widely renowned as this living saint. This, uh, I think he was the, maybe it was the bishop of the town, I can't, but maybe the parish priest, one or the other. But, but then he died and then... Um, Somehow the coffin was jostled or or something, and and then there was this air of corruption, and uh, and it really deflated people's um, conviction of the man's living holiness. That well, wait a minute, this was a living saint. Apparently, God is showing us that he wasn't all that good, or something like that. It challenged people um, in their faith in, in that in that book, and, and one of the main characters too, who's was his disciple, I think, a rising priest. Um, so anyway, you know, maybe people thought of that. So we have the incorrupted saints. But, uh, you know, and so it's like proof positive from God that this was a holy person. I'm showing you, uh, I'm showing you that, that fact. And, um, uh, but then others, you know, like this character in, in real life too, like they've, they've uh, been corrupted and it might challenge us like, well, we smell corruption. So it was a faint, a faint something there that, um, that was not, was less than holy and saintly in that person's life. Um, so anyway, I mean, we kind of, we sell that, we smell that right away, you know, if we step into a kind of a, a soggy room, we smell like the mold or whatever. Like we t we sense right away that something's off. We may not be as perceiving as something is quite on, I guess. But anyway, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. So I've never like I've never smelled the, let's call it the odor of sanctity. However, there have been certain churches and chapels I've gone into where I just I sensed the presence of God. The presence of God was palpable. And it is often in places where there have been sometimes centuries of holy people praying in that space, like either an adoration chapel or a chapel where there have been, like again, you can, it, it, the, the space has been invested um, with thousands of hours of prayer or tens of thousands or hundreds of or millions of hours of prayer by holy men and women celebrating mass adoring the lord honoring god in that space and it it truly it, it it's not everywhere it's not every church you know just because a church is old but there have been certain churches where i have sensed the holy presence of god like for instance, one is the Jesu, which is the uh, sort of the the, the prominent uh, Jesuit church in Rome. Uh, and I when when we would uh, we would be uh, go to mass, and we had the op option of going to mass in the city. I would often go to the Jesu because they had, they had daily masses going most of the morning, but. It didn't matter that there was like an old Jesuit celebrating Mass in a way that seemed perfunctory. There was just this palpable, profound sense that I was in the presence of the Holy God in that particular church. Mm -hmm. 
Um, is there a chapel or a church where, uh, fathers, you have had that sense of this is a holy place and, and I, I've got to up my game in terms of reverencing the holy God? I experienced something like that, I think, in ours, at the Basilica of St. John Vianney, which is an interesting construction because they built a more modern church, the Basilica, um, attached it to the back end of his parish church. And the Basilica is nice and all, and that's where his body is kept. But I really like the, the old church and and uh, just kind of in awe that you know, here's the pulpit where he preached and taught, and here's the, um, you know, the, the, the chair where he sat, and here's the confession where he heard confessions. And I didn't necessarily smell anything different, you know, speaking of the odor, the aroma of, of holiness, but there was kind of like this holy gravitas to it. There's this extra gravity and solemnity and... and um, and uh, I, I, I felt much the same, I felt moved in much the same way that this is where 40 years, 40 plus years, this holy man, this patron saint and priest was ministering to his people. And, and uh, the air of that holiness, uh, for me, you know, I perceived it was, you know, still lingers to this day. Nice. You know, when you were talking about that, Tom, one of the things that came to my mind and my memory is, uh, an old show back in the late 60s and 70s uh, called Civilization by Kenneth Clark. He, Kenneth Clark was this English art expert, you know. Um, he is head of all sorts of things in England. And, and he gave this show of the 12 or 13 um, episodes just tracing Western civilization. In one of his autobiography volumes, he was talking about this sense that you just mentioned of he, he's traveled all over the world to all these other sites, you know, and things. And he said that he had the same experience, that there was some places you just felt holy. And the example he gave for this was Iona, the, the holy isle off the Cape of Scotland, or off the coast of Scotland, that had uh, early Christian monks build a monastery there. And, you know, just for, for centuries, uh, there's, there's nothing on the island but the, but the monastery. It's very bleak and simple, but he says going there, you just have the sense of, and at this time he he wasn't a partic- he wasn't a believer, um, although he did have a death bed conversion to Catholicism. But he also said there's the opposite side. He said when I went, when he went to Mycenae, this 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 the ruins of this city in Greece. He said this was evil place. This this was something bad happened here. Um, you know, kind of the haunting sense. But you're talking about the good sense of a haunt. There, there's a spiritual um, uh, atmosphere that's that hangs around a place. I have not personally, I can't think of anything in particular, a place of chapel or church that stands out that, the way you did. Uh, but I firmly believe it's true and possible. I just can't call to mind any place. So interestingly, I'll ask Father Lewis this. There is a, a space locally that I've also sensed it. Now, it hasn't, I don't think it's been active for 100 years, but it's the chapel at Bishop White Seminary. Oh. That... Uh, you know, we were there, we were starting to go to their Vespers on Sunday night in adoration as a family, and it's a holy place. There's just a sense of God's holy presence in that space. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I haven't, but I also know our seminarians very well, Tom, so um, they're working They're working on it. <laughs> I'm not blaming them for it. They don't get to get that credit that quickly, right? No, it's a, it's it's a it is a remarkable place. In fact, the old Bishop White, which is if you know Spokane, the new Bishop White is the existing building. The old Bishop White is the mansion across the street, and the chapel that had been in in that in that seminary was the first site of perpetual adoration. And then when it became a college seminary from a high school seminary, that's when our parish St. Thomas More took a perpetual adoration. It just kind of transferred, and the folks committed to that as well. But I mean, you think about that: how many years of perpetual adoration? You now that's that's uh that's racking up the holiness uh, just right there because uh, Jesus is there perpetually, and um, I suspect that's a huge part of maybe what you experience. Yeah, what's the what's the church in Paris that has that adoration continually for a hundred years? Sacre Coeur. Sacre Coeur. Yeah, yeah I, going in there that was a holy place. Yeah. That was amazing. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, fathers, now the question gets harder. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question about being saints today and what we need to be saints today. Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis and Father Kurt Nagel. 
talking about saints and becoming saints. All right, fathers, here's my question. Here we are, aroma for Christ, right? The aroma of Christ. We want to have that sense of Christ life and godliness shining forth in our lives and through our lives. Um, I pose the question, uh, when you think about the saints, they, you could identify all kinds of gifts and graces that are common among them. They'd say, oh yeah, they're, you know, they, they love the Lord, right? They have this tremendous love for God. All right. What would be two attributes that saints commonly have that are most needed today if in fact the 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 people that are alive today if they're going to come into that place where they themselves can be saints what would be the distinct gifts that are most needed by someone today to be a saint and maybe most lacking today and maybe is a reason why we don't have many saints. So I, I was able to identify two attributes that I felt my sense was, oh yeah, if we had more laity and religious and priests and sisters with these two gifts, these virtues in a heroic degree, we would have more saints today. So I've got two. So fathers, it's now on you. Okay, so what would be, you can, you can start with one if you want, or if you've got two immediately coming to mind, what would those be? And I'm going to start with Father Nagel. So here you're talking, not necessarily, you're not talking, necessarily talking about the charisms, but like the virtues. Yeah, like not, oh, they have, um, you know, they think, have a love for the Blessed Mother, right? So that's, I think, that would be a characteristic, or they're orthodox, right? No, I'm talking about distinct virtues. Uh, or gifts that are um, in a heroic degree. I think, and again, you can say if this is what you're talking about or not. But I, I think today, and, I, and when I say today, I'm, I'm talking about most like United States of America, right? Uh, in our culture, yes. um, I think, I think the sense of tranquility that comes from a knowledge, a, a faith in the supernatural. I, I think. That there's this, I, I think we are a angry, nervous, uh, ang- you know, anxious people, and a sense of that tranquil peace that just comes from faith. Um, again, that you can't be rocked by anything. That that again, a sense of peace uh, that comes from confidence in God. I think that that would be probably one of the things I think that would be very attractive as an aroma in in a in a room or in company or in meeting a person. Nice. I like that. So the tranquility of order, uh, peace. Okay. That's, yeah, that's a good gift. Okay. Father, Father Lewis, do you got one? I've got two. Should I go for oh, two? Oh, wow. I've actually got three, but I'll stick with two. Nice. <laughs> well, you can, you can, you go can lend me the third one. one. Yeah, there you go. Maybe, maybe your third one will be Father Nagel's second oh, okay. one. And I think they, uh, well, okay, so I'll say my two. I thought of humility and joy um, almost immediately, and most because of something that Bishop Daly has preached a lot. Uh, a humble heart is a grateful heart, and a grateful heart uh, is a joyful heart. And um, so I, I, we already spoke about gratitude, but I, per, I perceive in myself, starting with myself, but I perceive in so many folks in the wider culture as well, a profound lack of humility. Um, I'm right and you're wrong, and that's just the way it is. And, uh, and, and you can phrase that however, but that's basically what it comes down to. Um, whereas really our attitude needs to be, God is God and I am not. And, um, and when we can be humbled like that and, and just be at peace, I think that tranquility is attached to it, therefore, with that truth, then, uh, then there's great joy in that. I think that, not that they're side by side, but joy flows out of humility when we recognize that God is God and I am not, and, and that gives me joy. Um, and I see a lot of people faking humility. Um, you know, you know, look what do-gooding I've done. And But, I mean, it's a thing that they've done. It's not a, an attribute of who they are, I perceive, anyway. And, and a lot of giddiness, a lot of maybe even happiness, but not a lot of joy. There's a lot of folks that will use sarcasm or even cynicism as some kind of outlet of their perception of humor and there's just it's it's ugly it's not joyful um so those are the two that came to mind if we can grow in those they are most needed and they are most lacking at least 
And I, I have to admit, beginning with me, I can get so um, wrapped up in, in, you know, how, how does the lack of humility play in my life? Like, if I've got a lot of things to do today and suddenly one little thing inconveniences, like yeah, the inconvenience of anointing someone who's dying, like, oh, I can't be bothered with this. Like, <laughs> boom, right away, that was my wrong attitude. Whereas humility would be like, obviously, God is God, I am not. This is far more important than whatever it was I was doing. And um, and I, I know I need to embrace that attitude more joyfully. Wow. So, you've, uh, Father Nagel, did this give you a yeah, chance yeah, well, to come I, up with the second? Yeah, I think the second one for me, and again, like Father Lewis says, this is all aspirational. It's not like I have these. Um, <laughs> but I think courage, fortitude, in the sense of in our culture today, I think that's very attractive for people who are, again, marginally Catholic or sort of, or um, just typical, to see someone not necessarily um, violent or angry, but just uh, just courageous about the faith and, and, and willing to uh, just stand up and stand by it. Um, I do think that there's a, uh, a real need for that. And I, again, I think courage is always attractive. And so we don't lead, I don't think we have a lot of courageous leaders or people in our culture. And so, including us in the church, but I, I, so I do think there's a need and that would be attractive. Father Nagel, uh, Father Lewis is shaking his head. So I think he approves Father Nagel. Yeah. So, okay. So I, I, I don't feel so bad now because the two that I had, one of them was courage that, uh, I speak quite often about the need to stand up, speak out, push back. I use those phrases intentionally. Uh, and we live in a time where that's going to become increasingly necessary. And I think it's going to be a mark of a saint. The mark of a saint today is going to be someone who can stand up, speak out, push back. But here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering if my second one can live in a health, healthy tension with some of the gifts that, uh, some of the graces that, and gifts that you've identified, fathers, and it was zeal that, um, in addition to courage, there's that sense of zeal that's needed. Zeal for the Lord, zeal for the church, zeal for salvation of souls. And I'm wondering how, well, first of all, do you agree, fathers? And then, um, I, since you have humility, Father Lewis, you have to agree, pretty much. You pretty much can't agree. Uh, You're right, can't I'm disagree. <laughs> but it's interesting because if, uh, if there is a way in which zeal is needed, can we have someone who's zealous also be someone who is peaceful, tranquil, someone who's humble, and someone who's joyful? That can those things live in the mix, live in a healthy fashion with someone who's also zealous? So that's just a, there's, there's my thought, Father Nagel. What do you think? I, I think certainly they can, um, and I, and I was trying to put my mind in zeal wasn't the word I was using, but something else like that. I was trying to articulate that to myself in some ways, that I think that there's been kind of like a damper on faith almost, like that, um, and and to have somebody who's excited about the faith, maybe that's another word. It's it's not it's kind of weak compared to zeal. But, but the idea of wanting to take the initiative because one's excited about the relationship with Christ and sharing that, um, I think that certainly is compatible with humility and tranquility and peace. And um, you say, you know, I, I want to go, I want to spread this around. Um, I'm, I want, I'm energetic about this. Uh, this is where my energy comes from, which again, I think that there's kind of that, that's one of the real needs of the church today here. Um, is that, and we can blame COVID, I think, but I don't think it's just COVID. I think it's pre-COVID and post-COVID. But I think, it, I think there's, again, there's, there's again this kind of this dark cloud of mortar over us that when we just sort of are psychologically thinking, you know, if we can just hold on rather than, hey, you know what, I let's go forward. So I don't think there's any, I don't see any uh, opposition at all between those. All right, I'm gonna have to uh, stop us here, take another break. When we come back, uh, Father Lewis, you can jump in, and then tomorrow is election day. So I want to say, do we have peace and humility and joy and zeal and courage as we approach Election Day? Back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kernan with Father Kurt Nagel and Father Jeff Lewis. Father Lewis, I'm sorry, you're getting pushed to the sidelines. Because we've got we've to humbly accept that. I do. Because we have to make an announcement about a wonderful guest that 
uh, is making a rare appearance in the Puget Sound area. That's Christophonic. And if you ever have a chance to watch Real Life Catholic, uh, Father Chris, uh, Father <laughs> Christophonic, who is a father of, I think, seven kids, um, produces some really amazing videos that help connect our faith to our daily life. And the fact that he's going to be at St. Monica's in Mercer Island is an amazing gift. And so I know that tomorrow is election day and we were going to talk about that, but I'm going to encourage you to elect to do something different. Did you like that? After you vote, head over to St. Monica's, 6.30 to 8.30. Christophonic is going to be um, having an evening, hosting an evening. And frankly, it doesn't really matter what he's going to do. You just want to be there because he's an amazing speaker. He has a way of reaching young people, reaching um, uh, people of every age and helping them to ponder and pursue and live their Catholic faith. Father Nagel, how did you in the world get Christophonic to be able to come to St. Monica's? Well, I like to say that he called me knowing what a dynamic parish it was, and he begged to be able to come and speak. That would not be true. Um, he knows one of my parishioners, and my parishioner, you know, they're close. And, and so I think that was the real connection. But I do think this is probably a better, uh, a better option than watching the election news. Just, just come here and be at peace and get zeal. Amen to that. Yeah. I, so again, that's a it's a it's a wonderful gift. Christophonic, if you have if you're not familiar with him, has a way of presenting the gospel that makes a Christ accessible, but also <clears throat> challenges you to open your life to Christ and let Christ come in, and um and 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 be Lord and be Savior. And so, especially if you've got um, high schoolers, young adults. Uh, kids or grandkids that have been away from the faith or wondering how do I find a presentation of the Catholic faith and the gospel and Jesus in a way that might be uh, attractive, this is a great opportunity to do that. So that's tomorrow night on the 8th of November, 6.30 until 8.30 at St. Monica's and Mercer Island. All right, final word, Father Lewis. We've been talking about what it takes to make to be made a saint. I think uh, we talked about great virtues that are needed, but I just would emphasize again, uh, it all must begin with our relationship with Jesus, who is the saint maker. So daily prayer, weekly mass on Sunday, regular confession, the staples. If we're not even doing that, then the do-goodery of the saints, um, they are just uh, not be as fulfilling as, as they would be otherwise. We've got to have that regular daily contact with the Lord and receive his graces in every way we can. Amen to that. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.